Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? So good to have you here with us today. Hey, as a reminder, a couple weeks ago, we celebrated our 100th episode of this podcast. So whether you are just joining us, maybe this is one of the first episodes you've listened to. Maybe you've been listening to them for many, many months and maybe uh, only almost a year now. Either way, really excited that you're here. But to celebrate that 100th episode, we wanted to do a, a little giveaway. So if you would like, you can go to grantbaldon.com slash contest. Again, that's grantbaldon.com slash contest, where we're going to be giving away a $100 gift card to the retailer of your choice. Very, very simple to register for that and to enter that drawing. So uh, I'd encourage you to, again, stop by grantbaldon.com slash contest. Again, that's grantbaldon.com slash contest. All right, enough about that. Let's get into today's episode. we got my buddy Dale Partridge, who's joining us today. Dale is a uh, he's an author, he's an entrepreneur, focuses a lot on just the social conscious space of entrepreneurship. So it's not about just doing something just to, for the bottom line, not about just making an extra buck, but how do you actually use your work and your passions and your endeavors, what it is that you're involved with to really make a difference and make some type of dent in the world. And so Dale has really done that in some cool ways. So excited to get into his story and journey today. So let's not waste any more time, my friends. Let's jump right in. Here's my chit chat, my interview with my buddy. Dale Partridge. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my buddy Dale Partridge, who is a serial entrepreneur, author, has got his hand in a bunch of different stuff, excited to talk through what he is up to now and uh, some different projects he's been working on, some things that he has built. So, Dale, what is up, man? Welcome to the show. Dude, super excited to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, so you have built a variety of different businesses. So give us like the overview of the different type of businesses you've had your hand in. Yeah, so a long time ago, you know, I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. I literally believed that when I was 18 years old. I thought I was going to be a pro player. I thought I was going to be a pitcher. I broke my arm in the summer between high school and college and created, you know, out of that, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to figure out how to fix what, why I broke. And I started a fitness company. And in that fitness company, I built that up to you know six employees, about a half million dollars a year, and then hated my life because I was training overweight, wealthy women instead of sports athletes, <laughs> and uh, that's where the money was, right? So that's a unique and, niche. Yeah, right. And um, but I turned into a therapist instead of a trainer. So I said, oh my god, I got to get out of this. And I sold the company for fifty thousand dollars to a young couple that wanted to take over the company. And I said, oh my God, let me get out. It was in retrospect, I probably should have sold it for more, but I said, just leave. I was the wealthiest 19-year-old or 20-year-old that I knew at the time. And I took that money, started investing in the stock market because I ate way too much Chipotle. I walked into Chipotle and said, hey, you know, know, I love this company. They said, oh my God, we actually just went public last week. So I bought some stock there and I spent $10,000 on Chipotle stock and lucked out and rode that up to about $121 a share. I lost a ton of money on solar stocks just like a couple months after that, but and then I said, oh my gosh, I'm a rock climber, right? And I want to figure out how to, you know, still in shape. And I said, let's, I need to do something with this. And I, all my rich, overweight, wealthy women that I was training, their husbands, I... Sounds like I, you uh, just have this entourage of these women. Right, right. It, it was, it was, a, it was a weird thing. And their husbands were all like these successful business guys. So I rallied up my community. I said, hey, let's raise a half million dollars and open a rock climbing gym. And we did. We opened up an 8,000 square foot rock climbing gym. And I was the CEO and I was running the company, about 20 employees at 21 years old. And then I got fired from my own company. <laughs> so about a year into it, I had my partners come in and, 
and they, you know, they said, Hey Dale, we need to talk. And they took me into the yoga room and, uh, and I'm sitting there and they go, you know, you're just a horrible leader and you're dangerous for the company. We're going to have to let you go. Wow. And I thought, Holy crap. Right. And I, I realized that I was, I was a really, in retrospect, it took me about six months to a year to realize how crappy of a leader I was. And this was a, the beginning of a growth curve for me to figure out how to get better. And I started a branding agency and a conference company and, and I wrote my first self-published book. And then is when I got tired of almost making money. I said, oh my gosh, like, cool, I can make money. I'm pretty good at that. But I wanted to figure out how I could blend purpose and profit. You know, I wanted to figure out what did that look like? I wanted to ask the hard questions. I wanted to kind of flip capitalism upside down. And in the office of my branding agency, I said, let's start a company that changes the world. And I found out that charities were going out out of business at about a million a year. And I found out it's just because of a lack of awareness and a lack of funding. So I said, let's create an e-commerce company where $7 of every item sold would go to support a weekly charity. And, you know, we'd sell shirts, hats, and beanies, and it was called Sevenly. And we launched in the first week, we ended up selling like almost 800 products. And I was like, holy crap. Like, I, I thought, this works. Like, it was the first time in business where I was like, that worked. Like, I don't know why it worked, but that's working. And we all of a sudden found ourselves just uh, in this business where I actually, in the office of my branding agency, right? Because I still have this other company. I'm like, this company, if we did this every single week, we do double the revenue we're doing here. Like we need to shut this business down and like take the staff from here and move it over to Sevenly. And so we did. Two and a half years later, we're almost 50 employees, almost, you know, 10 million in revenue or actually just a little lower than that. And then we're pushing through and We've raised four, you know, now we've raised like $4.2 million in $7 donations for charities and, you know, found myself traveling and being on the cover of magazines and, and speaking to, to Facebook, you know, employees and Adobe, you know, and all these different great companies. And I thought, holy crap, wow, like what a rush. Yeah. But I hit a wall again and I found out that this is the first time I realized that companies can grow faster than people can. And I realized there wasn't enough books I could read. Like I couldn't read enough, you know, TED Talks or I couldn't watch enough TED Talks, couldn't have enough mentor sessions. This company was just growing really quick. Right. And it pushed me into a little bit of a, a gnarly season of like insomnia and depression and anxiety and panic. And, and, and I had to change my life. And, and, you know, so that's kind of the generation that season of my life was really that dictated my philosophy on business and, and really push me to where I'm at now. I don't want to get too far ahead, Grant. I know you probably want to ask some questions about this stuff, but, yeah, I'm, um, I'm but we'll move forward. Yeah. Like, did you, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of crazy stuff we'll, we'll get into. So did you come up in an entrepreneurial family? No, actually my dad worked at General Electric and he actually would walk into the house all the time and he would say, you know, Dale, I'm wearing the golden handcuffs. Like he'd say that to me as a child. Wow. And I remember him telling me, explaining to me what that meant. He was like, you know, I have a job that's just too good to leave, you know? And, and he always had these ideas and, and I felt like there was an entrepreneur locked inside of him. And even to this day, he hasn't started something. And, and I feel like he's living a little vicariously through me, but he was always grooming me to be an entrepreneur. And I think even as a pitcher, as a child, I learned, I didn't realize this until like a couple months ago, actually, but I was thinking like I was a pitcher from when I was about seven years old until I was 18 and I learned how to lead the field and I learned how to control the game. Yeah. And I feel like those lessons from those moments, you know, without me even knowing about it, had played such a huge role in my leadership ability 
but my dad would always take me and like push me into like our ventures and, and enterprising and was like always encouraging me there. And so, yeah, I did not grow up in an entrepreneurial family. I actually quite the opposite. So, you know, for anybody that's listening like that, you know, you don't have to come from that background. I just, I had to figure it out on my own. Yeah. So whenever you're coming out there, the plan is to play baseball. I mean, obviously if, if you feel like this is a legit thing and not just like some uh, adorable little childhood dream, like I assume you had some pretty decent skills then. Yeah. You know, when I first started, I didn't realize how good I was at being an entrepreneur because I had actually had like 15 jobs from the age of like 15 to 18. And I got fired from like every one of them. I was totally <laughs> like unemployable. Right. And I think a lot of people don't realize that about themselves. They think they're just like, you know, immature or jerks. It could be that you just have a real struggle with you want to be on your own. And I realized that I had a, a couple things that were going for me. One is that I understood graphic design and I understood I had an eye for design, meaning that I think if you're good at design, it has nothing to do with using Photoshop or Illustrator. It has everything to do with your eye. Like, how good are you at, at, at developing your eye? Like, the way you do one thing is the way you do all things. Sure. And so, like, I was able to see what quality was. And in, in an aesthetic generation that we live in today, if it's ugly, you lose credibility. I mean, right. if it's beautiful, it, it's more credible than it actually is, right? So, so that's been the thing that I think really helped me in the beginning is that I, everything I did looked good. Even if it actually wasn't good, it looked really great. Let's take something like that, for example, where you've got kind of this natural ability where you can see something and it helps you in so many other ways of, of just the ability to, to see something. But it's, is that the type of thing that can be taught or something that you learned or is it just felt, is something like you just felt like you were born with? It's totally learnable. It just, uh, it takes, you know, in my design eye, it has developed uh, and evolved over the years. And it's something that you have to practice at though, right? Like, you know, like today I can't lift 400 pounds, but if I worked at it, you know, in, in about six months to a, to a year, I probably could, right. you know, so it's the same things you have to exercise that strength and that gift. So I constantly, I'm looking at dribble, D-R-I-B-B-B-L-E.com. And also there's like the greatest graphic designers in the world. I'm on Pinterest and I'm constantly like curating great content, whether it's from furniture to photography to interior design to fashion to, I'm I, you know, that's the thing. Remember, if the way you do one thing is the way you do all things. So like my business is not just beautiful. Like my desk and my house is beautiful too. And like the interior design, the couches I buy and the photos that are on my walls, like everything is kind of at this level. And it's a constant act of pushing for better design and, and that's just one trait, you know, that I think has really carried me through. And I think it will carry a lot of people through if they work on developing that. So as an entrepreneur, you have the broken arm as the baseball player that decided to shelve that career for a while. And then you go into the rock climbing stuff. Are you feeling like this is the long term thing for you or just just kind of like, I don't know, we'll just, you know, we'll try this. And, and it sounds like you had the, the gym in between there. So are you just like as an entrepreneur, just looking for the next opportunity? Or are you feeling like, no, I want to find the one thing that I'm supposed to do? Yeah. So, you know, I totally thought that the rock climbing gym was like it, like, oh my God, I found it. Like I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. Right. right. And there's many times that I think entrepreneurs are going to see that, you know, the cool thing is that the more companies you start, the easier they are to start. So you get better at it every time, you know, like I could start a company and, and make it pretty successful within a couple months, but it took me, you know, it's eight years ago, it would have taken me, you know, a year to do that. And so, yeah, that experience really pushed me through. But then I realized that I wanted to really figure out what it looked like to have more purpose and work. And so Sevenly was that big hit. And, and I had this underlying philosophy throughout all my companies that I believed that people matter. And I always wanted to be better, even though I wasn't in my earlier years. I always wanted to create this great company with this great culture and this great beliefs. And it didn't mature in me until Sevenly hit, where I got a chance to like really blow something up. 
And that philosophy, those lessons that I know, and those things that I think have been true to what's made me be able to make $25 million in the last 10 years is it's the title of my book. It's People Over Profit. I mean, that's ultimately my value system is that I believe that people are more valuable than profit is. And I think that companies that can value people over profit are actually more profitable. And, and really, that's been the driving force, I think, behind most of my success. So would you say basically pre-Sevenly and the, the rock climbing days and then the gym, that it was more the opposite of more profit over people? I think that it was, my heart wanted it to be people over profit, but it wasn't. And it took me really living it to, and I started living it after being fired from the rock climbing gym. And I really started putting it into action at Sevenly. And even to this day, you know, carried these principles throughout all my work life. And it's, it's continued to make me even more successful. But yeah, so it was definitely something that had to learn and mature. And I think that I'm, because I struggle with it, I'm probably most qualified to write about it because I actually had to learn it and understand how other people that struggle with it feel. And that's, you know, what I started doing in the book. I started looking at all the greatest companies in the world. And I started seeing like, you know, Patagonia, REI, North Face, uh, In-N-Out Burger, Chick-fil-A, Ben & Jerry's, Whole Foods, like these great brands, right, that just crush it in the marketplace. And I go, why are they winning? Like, why are they winning more than other people? Why is their brand perception so much greater? Why is their employee retention rate so much higher? And I started looking at the philosophies that they have uh, and that, that I shared with them and that they shared with Sevenly and that, and that ha- they've been doing for years. And I realized that none of them even knew that they were doing these things. Like they didn't have these things uh, like tattooed on their HQ and their, you know, in wherever their headquarters were at. They didn't have sure. these in their mission statements or in their business plan. Instead, like these beliefs, the people over profit principles are like things that you won't find in Fortune magazine. They're not going to find them in Fast Company. You're not going to find them in Forbes. You're going to find them when your parents are teaching you how to be a good person in kindergarten. And these guys have this incredible moral ability to like, to sustain the most basic principles of human interaction, like, like not lying and like being kind and like sharing and loving one another. And and those principles, if you can actually translate those into actual business sense, they're amazing because we remember like love always wins. It always has. It always will. Same with truth. Like and we still struggle with them. I'm 30 years old and I'll tell my wife, I'm like, I'm around the corner and I'm like totally not around the corner. Like I still, <laughs> I'm still lying, right? Like we struggle with this stuff, right? So it's the men and women that can lead their companies with these basic principles that just kick ass in the market. Right. And I, I like that. I mean, it's not just relevant for just an entrepreneurship, but it's relevant for employees and for as spouses and as fathers and wives and mothers. Yes. And like all of these different roles, like who you are. is Like one thing we say a lot on the show is that who you are is more important than what you do. And so if you have a, a big bank account, if you have a successful business, if you are making a difference in everybody else's life, but you drop the ball as a husband or as a father and you're the shell of a human being, like it's just not worth it. You know, so it sounds like that's kind of the almost the epiphany that you're having like leading into the rock climbing and then beyond that oh it it is totally i actually think i use that exact same sentence in my book somewhere i I literally like i'm trying to think about the exact wording while you said that it's totally it's very true i mean one quote that i use often is is it you know don't get too busy making a living that you forget to make a life yeah yeah, yeah. and it's the same thing it's it's this like we get so wrapped up in our work and we have to remember like the most dangerous people in the world are the people that go, oh man, it's not, it's not personal. It's just business. And I'm like, dude, you are the biggest jerk on the planet, right? 
everything is personal, right? Like there's nothing in life that's not personal. And so when you take this philosophy of people over profit and you go apply it in your life, you realize that like you're not just successful, but people like you. Like you have a good name in the community. Like people admire you. And that's a different type of success. I mean, I stopped following the people that are wealthy because I'm like, okay, cool, you're wealthy. Like I can make money because money is easy to do. What's difficult to do is when you can find a man or a woman that says, I'm successful in business. I have a great marriage. I have great children that respect me and love me. My friends care about me. My family is tight. Like my community is strong. I follow those people now. And those people are the ones that are like changing the world. And they're very difficult to find. And that's the kind of leader that I'm trying to help build in the world. Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of people I think we, and you kind of alluded to there, that there's people that like we look up to and admire and the outside looking in, it's like, oh man, they just seem to have a maid in business and in life. And then you, however it works out where you're able to peek behind the curtain, you're like, oh, I, I don't think I want that after all because my wife still likes me and I want to keep it that way. And I want my kids to have, I want to have a good relationship with them. And so, yeah, you can make all these trade-offs to have this proverbial success that maybe everybody's chasing, but like what kind of sacrifices are you making in, in the process? Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. I'm such a fan of just like be a good spouse and be a good parent and be a good friend and be a good businessman or woman. And it's that philosophy is really the back end of this book. And I think that I'm hoping that that attracts the right reader that says, oh, yes, this is what I want. I want to create a you know people over profit company or I want to be a people over profit manager and I want to be a people over profit leader. Whenever you were fired from your own rock gym, how long are you kind of in a, <laughs> a semi-depression before you start Sevenly? You know, I pushed through a couple of companies. It took about probably two years. And I just kind of like searching stuff. and trying stuff? Yeah, like almost like a mix between like proving that I'm not a loser and and trying to find purpose and it was it was a really hard season for that time. I remember feeling like like I didn't have like almost like like a, this sounds weird, but like a, a mom that couldn't have a baby. Like I felt like yeah. oh my gosh, like I can't like I don't have I need a company. Like that's where I live. That's where I work well and I need to be be leading a company. And I just didn't have that season. And I don't know if like God put me through some crazy time zone where I just needed to like learn and sit and be quiet and go through a season of maturing. And it was hard. I read like 250 books in that period. I listened to audiobooks every single week and I was reading and, and I studied and I, I actually enrolled in a executive psychotherapist training course. It's a year long, $1,000 a month. And like had people pretty much tell me like, all the, like, you know, nobody likes to tell anybody that they have a booger on their face. (laughs) You know, it's like the most awkward thing in the world. You're at the, you're at dinner and you're like, bro, you know, bat in the cave, you know? (laughs) And, uh, so I had these guys that were just telling me all the boogers on my face and, you know, he'd look me in the eye and be like, do you hurt people? Like every time you talk, you hurt people. And I'm like, crap. And, you know, he'd say, you know, we need to fix that. If you look through your history, you got to wake a destruction behind you. And so I had to fix that part of me and it, healing and changing. That's the difference in great leaders. I mean, they, they can actually do that. They don't stay the same. They actually grow. And that, that's kind of one of the bigger lessons in life that I'm starting to step into. Let's talk about those two years in between when you, you end at the uh, rock climbing gym and when you start Sevenly, you're trying a couple different things. You're kind of in the desert, just wandering and trying to find what, what am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing with life? It sounds like you were trying a bunch of different things. What finally gave you some traction as you're trying different businesses? Because I feel like there's a lot of people I think that would be listening to the show that are in a similar spot of just like, 
I just, I know that I'm capable of something. If someone would just tell me what the crap I'm supposed to be doing with my life, it would bring enormous clarity. I just, I cannot figure it out. When I know I'm supposed to be doing something. I know I have something to offer and something to contribute, and I'm not an idiot, but I, I just don't even know where to begin. So how did you begin to, I mean, you go through the therapy stuff and you go and reading the books, but like, how do you kind of come out the other end? Okay, so this is the big takeaway, and this is really like the philosophy of the entire book and of my entire leadership life right now is I had to start seeing money not as the primary goal, but as a byproduct of helping a million people. And so, you know, in the research in my process made this ultra clear. I mean, you're never going to become wealthy without helping people. It's that simple. So I, I started asking myself the question, what massive problem can I get lost in? You know, what human needs are begging for me to solve them? You know, this was the entrance to building a multi-million dollar company. I mean, I literally got lost. Like building a million dollar company wasn't even on my radar. It was just a result of what happened. That was the big shift as I started putting people first. I'm like, okay, what problem can I solve and how can I help a million people? And it sounds almost a little bit cliche, but it's really the focus. And all of a sudden, like it just worked. And if you have to, you have to create every marketing message and every copywriting piece and every moment of leadership around that idea. It's like we are here for mission and we are here for purpose, and we are here to solve problems. I mean, that's the original source of business, right? It was, it was a transaction between two people to say, hey, you give me money, and I'll make your life better. Right. And we've switched so far into this idea where we actually think that customers are there to serve us or something. It's super sick and twisted, and we've lost. Capitalism has become a dirty word, and we've turned it into something that's really what it's not. Like, let's restore capitalism by like being like Tom Shoes and Warby Parker and Crochet Kids and, and some of these other great brands that are out there that are, that are really looking at it with integrity. So I think that shift, you know, Grant, what I say about this is that if you think about it, that, you know, we are biologically developed to respond to things a certain way. Like the human mind has been proven over and over again that it responds to certain things. Like there's been... There's been brain scientists that prove that the brain is made for love. It's not made for anger. It's not made for performance. It's made for love. And, you know, we thrive most when, it's, when we feel loved and when we love others. Right. So, like, I'm really almost doing, like, biological leadership. It sounds like a super weird term or biological <laughs> marketing. As I just play into the things that, like, I know we've been designed to do. And the more we do that, people hate being cheated. People hate being lied to. People hate, you know, someone being rude to them. Like... People hate being deceived. If you just speak into that authenticity and that transparency and that love, like that's where entrepreneurs are winning today. But it's like, it's one thing to recognize that, but then how that translates to a, a business or to a career, like you could have started Sevenly, but you could have done, you know, a million other things that would serve the same purpose. So why Sevenly? Yeah. So Sevenly was really like, it was in my sweet spot. It was something that I understood. So I wanted so badly to be the guy that was like in Africa, like Scott Harrison or, yeah. or Blake, like putting on a shoe on someone's foot for Tom's shoes. Yep. And I wasn't, like, I had to actually come to the conclusion, like, I'm not that guy. Like I actually hate traveling far because the time zone screws me up so much. Like I don't want to be that guy. And then I, I go, okay, well, I'm actually, I watch nonprofits go out of business and I go, they're never going out of business because of a lack of purpose or because of a lack of passion. <laughs> like they have gobs and gobs of passion. They go out of business because they don't know how to run a business. And I thought, okay, so I'm not called to the field. I'm called to the people called to the field. And that moment was like, I want to help charities. And I had to come down to be real with who I am and not and be okay with saying like, I'm not the guy that's in Africa. 
And, and that was hard, you know, like I wanted those photos for marketing, you know, and like I wanted to be that authentic leader, but I'm not, you know, I'm actually better in a boardroom when I'm sitting around with, you know, the leaders of some of the biggest charities and say like, let's run this campaign this way and raise a hundred thousand dollars this week. Let me so jump, that, that let me jump in for shift. a second. Like, how do you recognize that? Because again, oftentimes we are looking for the thing that we are, but I think you make a great point there of identifying the things that we're not. And so realizing that like that thing that I look up to, that person I admire, that company, that organization, whatever that thing is, I love that, but I recognize and realize that's not me. So how do you come to terms with that and recognize where your, your strengths lie and where your weaknesses are? I think it takes a time of calm. So it's, it's really hard to see, like... I took a, a small sabbatical in this time, about maybe three and a half weeks. And I said, I, I just want to do nothing. I, got, I dropped my phone, I dropped my computer, and I stopped hanging out with people. And I, I wanted to see where my mind went without anything like pushing on me. And in a time where our senses are on overload, like we are on stimulation overload all the time. And I, I didn't know who I was anymore. Like there's a quote that says, do you remember who you were before the world told you who you should be? No, and I didn't know who I was anymore. And I wanted to figure out, like, what do I even like? Because I spent so many freaking years trying to impress people and trying to, like, become this crazy chameleon where I would become exactly who they wanted me to be because I was afraid of judgment or whatever it might be, right? And so I, I just got to the point where I said, okay, like, I got to figure out who I am. And I sat in silence and I came up with those things I started journaling a lot. I started writing down a lot of these answers and, and just thought about questions like, what, am I, what do I really like? Like, what do I really care about? Yeah. And if I had a perfect company, what would it really look like? And I wrote those things down and it really gave me some visual clarity on what I needed to create. And then I just did it because that's the other thing is that so many people say, okay, cool, I got the answer now. And then they're too afraid to you know, push through. And, and the fear is like one of the biggest things that that stops us. I, I would say fear has kept so many would-be leaders on the sidelines. While the great opportunities and ideas as paraded by them, they didn't lack insight. They lacked courage. Yeah. And so it's a step into that. So is there anything that you would do differently now, like looking back at those, that two-year period there before you started Sevenly, and even just the kind of like that, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe like that dark ages of just trying to define yourself and figure out what your strengths are and what you do enjoy doing and what you do want to create and, and provide value to the world. Is there anything that you would do differently going through all that? Well, uh, there nothing there, but what I would do differently is I would have never had any partners. So, you know, I realized after I've actually since sold most of my stock, I still, I still co-own Sevenly, but I sold most of my stock. I learned that I'm just not made to be a partner. And every one of my companies before that, I had business partners. So my company now, startupcamp.com, uh, doesn't have any partners. It's my first business without a partner. It's really interesting. Mm. And I learned that, and that's okay. Like, it's okay to be like, I'm not good at partnerships. Because one, I'll tell you, I have a marriage that I'm trying to be a good partner in. Right. And that's enough for me. <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay, like I don't need to be married to another, you know, three or four people. And at Sevenly, we had like 21 angel investors and venture capitalists involved and, and different partners. I mean, it was crazy. And the right leader can totally do that. You know, so if you're a guy or girl that says, I can have partners, then like good for you because a lot of people can, but I couldn't. And I remember that I would still act like, like I own the company 100%, even though I didn't. Right. And that's a huge problem. And if you're one of those people that fears that you might do that, then you need to be even more brave to say, I'm actually not going to just do this, but I'm actually going to do it on my own. 
So that's the one thing that I would change and, and uh, still have an incredibly strong relationship with the Sevenly staff and everything's good there. But you know, just learn that that's who I am. And it took me 10 years to figure that out about myself, right? Yeah. But I'm here. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about just uh, entrepreneurship in general and just if you were, as you start businesses and the different things that you've got your hand in, things that maybe you would try or just advice that you would give. Because I know a lot of people that listen to the show are certainly interested in that space, but uh, we'll save some of that for the bonus round. So we'll just tease that out there for now. But in the meantime, you've kind of touched on this book, your new book that's coming out, People Over Profit, that will be available. So tell us a little bit about that. What's the book about and and who's who's it for? Yeah, so... The book is, you know, just to, just to say it first, is that if you guys want to order the book based off of our conversations, just for your listeners, I've set it up at peopleoverprofit.com forward slash grant. You're going to get my $300 coaching kit, all these different cool, you know, freebies with it if you want to pick that up. But the book, Grant, is it's really a, an authentic, a vulnerable, deep story about my leadership growth, but it's also highlighting some of the most successful companies in the world, like I talked about earlier. But I also show a really interesting cycle. And I think this is probably the beef of the book in terms of what makes it really interesting. As I studied and I realized that companies, they make they transition into seasons. So for example, every company starts good because if they start bad, they go out of business, right? We know that. And I found out that companies like Bank of America, who most people would say are profit over people companies. You know, every time I do my presentation and say, what do you think about Bank of America? People are like booing in the crowd, right? And I tell them their founding story, which is incredible. We don't have time for it today. But I realized that they didn't start out that way. Like somehow, this profit over people company used to be a people over profit company. And what the heck happened? And I found out that there's a cycle that companies, like many companies, almost all companies have gone through where they go from an honest company to an efficient company to a deceptive company, and they either go out of business or they go into what I call the fourth era, which is the apologetic era, and then they go back into being an honest company. And I track all these incredible stories of companies that have gone through the entire cycle or have gone through the cycle and gone out of business. And so it helps people, entrepreneurs, employees, managers, one, it helps them realize, holy crap, Like, it's really easy to go through that cycle. How do you stay honest forever? Like, how do you stay like Whole Foods, who's been able to stay in the honest era for like 30 years? Right. You know, and so that's one big interesting thing. Also, managers and employees can be like, oh, crap, we're in the deceptive era. <laughs> like, we have all the traits of the deceptive era. Like, I need to either jump ship or start turning the ship around. Right. And so it's, it's a fun and interesting, like, study in the beginning of the book that helps people understand. And ultimately, the idea is that the companies that can stay in the honest era forever are the seven people over profit beliefs that I talk about in the book. And, and it's very similar to like a research book, kind of like good to great, like Jim Collins type stuff. Nice. Very cool. We'll definitely link up to that. Again, that's uh, peopleoverprofit.com slash grant. We'll be sure and link up to that. If people uh, beyond just the book itself, where else can we go to find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, you can find me at Dale Partridge just about anywhere. Pinterest is actually like my main deal. I got like, you know, 700,000 nice. followers there. So I'm, I'm the dude like leading the Pinterest move. So well done. Uh, yeah, you can follow me there. Yeah, love to have you. Awesome, man. Sounds good. Well, we got a couple other questions for you. So we're going to save those for the bonus round. I'd encourage people to download that. Stick around while uh, Dale and I chat for a few more minutes. So Dale, we will, uh, we'll see you over there. Thank you.
All right, good stuff there, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Dale Partridge. Really, really good stuff. Hey, I'd encourage you to stop by that you would check out his book, People Over Profit. It's really good stuff, and uh, I really like the concept of just saying, hey, it's not about just making an extra buck just for the uh, sake of, of more money, but it's really it's about how we treat people and the impact and the difference that we can make in the world. Because I, I can assure you of this, if you just make a lot of money, but you're a jerk to people, that you mistreat people, that you steamroll over people, and that, that your family, your friends, the people that you really love and care about are left in the wake behind you, then you've really dropped the ball. So I love this concept of people over profit. Definitely encourage you to stop by and check that out. Also, like I mentioned to you, uh, if you enjoyed that interview with Dale and you want to hear a few more minutes, you can go listen to the bonus material. Uh, you can find that at grantbaldoncom slash Dale Partridge. Really good stuff there. Dale and I stick around for a few more minutes and do some more uh, chit-chatting. So if you like it, you want to hear some more, make sure that you download that. It's totally free. Again, you can find that at grantbaldoncom slash Dale Partridge. Also, one more reminder to go by uh, grantbaldoncom slash giveaway. Again, that's grantbaldon.com. Excuse me, not giveaway. Uh, grantbaldon.com slash contest. I'll send you to the right URL. That would help. grantbaldon.com slash contest. And there you can find that $100 giveaway uh, information for the uh, 100th episode celebration of what we're doing right now. Uh, the deadline for that is the end of this week. So make sure that you stop by and you check that out. All right, my friends, that wraps up this episode. Enjoyed hanging out with you for a few minutes today. Appreciate you sticking around and joining us. Hopefully these interviews are continuing continuing to be encouraging and inspiring to you. And uh, I just want you to know, I really, really appreciate you and dig in, support you. We'll catch you later. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.